0: I am the Good Shepherd. We are in a season called I Am. We are exploring the I Am statements of Jesus. Last week, I am the gate. The week before that, I am the light of the world. The week before that, I am the bread of life. It it takes us through the narrative of the book of John. There are seven I Am statements that culminate with I am the resurrection and the life and then finish off with I am the the vine. It's, it's what John built his entire book on, and it is Jesus defining himself for us. Who better to define themselves than Jesus with his own words? So against the backdrop of Jewish history, he comes and he declares himself as the fulfillment of what was, the need for right now, and the future. That's what he, Jeff, does it get better than Jeff? Does it get better than Jeff? Thank you, Jeff. Brownie points for that. So this week, I am the Good Shepherd. We need to understand the Good Shepherd narrative has three parts throughout scripture, okay? There is a prophecy from Ezekiel, there is an illustration from David, and then there is a fulfillment from Jesus. We have to wrap our minds around this because if, if we were all Jews in the room, right, if we were first century Jews, we would know exactly what Jesus, is it time? Oh. Man, I thought, wow, we did it. <laughs> we did it. She is like, would you please stop? I'm not coming back now. <laughs> when your wife leaves your church, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a problem, right? Um, No, okay, so Jesus comes along, he fulfills it. So he says, in Ezekiel, there's a prophecy. David gives an illustration, Jesus fulfills it. Here's why this is important, because Jesus is not comparing himself to the shepherds that are working in the fields at the moment. Jesus is making himself known and he is comparing himself to God. He is saying, I am God. I am the fulfillment of what you heard. I am the fulfillment of the illustration that you've been given. I am God. I am the good shepherd is not a comparison to all the other workers that are shepherding in the fields. I am the good shepherd is a direct answer, okay? So there are bench marks in Jewish history that when you hear them, it takes you back to the moment. I'll give you a cultural example. Michael Irvin takes you to a time when the Cowboys were actually good, right? Like actual, I mean, that was, that was, you know what? I was in Marshall's the other day, guys, you got that picture? And on the clearance rack, this was on the clearance rack, nine bucks, nine bucks, victory, right? It's cheap. This is not real. It's not, it's, there's no, there's no value to it, right? They're like, oh, no, sell it and sell it for cheap because nobody's, I'm just kidding. Gosh, you Cowboys fans, you're so on edge all the time. I'm sorry you can't be in the Chiefs and be in the Super Bowl every other year. I mean, I, I I don't know what to do, but listen, it takes you to a moment. We talk about the 90s cowboys. You go to an era when they were great. We talk about Dak and you go to an era where it's been kind of struggles, right? When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, they go immediately to Ezekiel 34. They go immediately to Psalm 23. They know what he's talking about Based on history. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to cover them, and it's important for you. This is, again, the same conversation Jesus started last week when he was, not last week, last week, but that we talked about last week when Jesus came and said, I am the gate. He declared himself the door, the gate, however you want to say it. He's continuing the same conversation. The last thing he left them with was John 10.10, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy but I have come to give you a rich and satisfying life it is against that backdrop that Jesus now comes and declares himself the Good Shepherd but first little Julie Chen moment there for you Ezekiel 34 1 through 6 hey listen we're gonna cover a lot of Scripture right now there is a train of thought that is like you have to have a short amount of Scripture and you got to preach underneath 30 minutes or you'll lose people's train of thought I don't buy into that we did not come here for shallow did we We didn't come here for shallow, did we? No, we came here to dive in. So walk with me. If we can't read 30 or 40 verses of Scripture starting out, what what are we doing? Or what have we conditioned ourselves for? What have we prepared our minds? It's like, oh, no, we're going to have to read a lot of the Bible. No, 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 that that is our lifeblood, Right? That's our life, that is our fuel. It is the word of God, it's living and active, it's what transforms us. If we can't sit in this together as a community for five minutes and read through several passages, then then we're nowhere close to where we need to be. Talking about first century Jews, they memorized the Torah. They had the Torah They could call upon. When we talk about Psalm 23, that was something they could recite by memory because they prayed it over and over and over, and they sang it as lyrics, like a worship song, over and over and over. So let's be Jews for a moment and step into Ezekiel 34. It says, then this message came to me from the Lord, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you left your flocks to starve You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd. And they are easy prey for any wild animal. Doesn't this sound a lot like John ten ten? The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you a rich and satisfying life. He says, they have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. God continues through the prophet Ezekiel and just smashes the bad shepherds. He just continues to hammer them. Then he goes into Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, and here's what he says. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself, who is he talking about? It's not a trick question. Himself, I myself will search and find my sheep. Who did God say he was going to be? The shepherd. Thank you. Tina, way to go. He says, it's me. I myself will do it. I will be the shepherd. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in the water and all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land. What did he say last week? I am the gate, and when you come through me and you go out of me, you will find good pastures. You see what Jesus is doing. He's positioning self himself as the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 34. On high hills in Israel, there, there they will lie down in pleasant places, and their feet in lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who have strayed away. Who leaves the 99 for the 1? I will search for the lost ones who have strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. Right? So you got it. You got it. You know what you're looking for right? There are bad shepherds that are taking advantage. They exist to steal, kill, and destroy, but there is a good shepherd who is coming that is going to protect us. Now, David in Psalm chapter 23, if you grew up reciting Psalm chapter 23, this is going to bring it to life because here is what David is doing. He gives us the perfect illustration of the shepherd that will fulfill Ezekiel chapter 34, okay? So, They're already on alert. They're already looking. They're ready for a shepherd to come and combat the bad shepherds that are just trying to slaughter the sheep, take the wool, and drink the milk. Right? They're just, that's all they exist to do. So, they're looking for this good shepherd. Psalm 23, David writes this. The Lord is my shepherd. Who? The Lord. David makes it crystal clear from the jump. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Imagine being a first century Jew and knowing what Ezekiel 34 says and knowing what it prophesies for and then reciting this prayer over and over in worship, reciting it over and over in your prayer life. Imagine saying these things. You're believing for it to happen. You know what he's going to do. He says, you're rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's what our shepherd will do. So we know the shepherd is coming, Ezekiel chapter 34. We know what the shepherd is going to do, Psalm 23. He's going to lead me beside still water. He's going to bring me peace. He's going to honor me. He's going to prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He's going to protect me with his rod and his staff. He is going to be there for me. We know that he's coming. We know that he, what he will do. Now we're in John 10, 11 through 21. Bring some life to it, Right? It brings some substance to it. So, you have a captive audience in the Pharisees that knew Ezekiel 34 far better than any of us ever could. Who have recited over and over and over again Psalm 23. And they know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They know all of these things, right? They know them like we're beginning to be introduced to them. So listen to what Jesus says. John 10, 11 through 21, I am the good shepherd. Come on, I am the good shepherd. Do you feel that? Do you feel that against the backdrop of Ezekiel 34, against the prayer of Psalm 23? Do you sense what Jesus just declared? everything that you need, everything you've been longing for, everything you've been looking for, everything you've been waiting for, everything you've been praying for, everything you've been hoping for. What did Jesus just say? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. Sounds a lot like Ezekiel 34, right? The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded." Now listen to this. This is unbelievable. When he said these things, the people were divided in their opinions about him. Some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They are looking for someone to protect them, to give them direction, to save them. Jesus is doing miracles right in front of their face. He is posturing himself as the fulfillment of Jewish history and everything that they're looking for. And yet they're looking at him saying, eh, he could be demon-possessed. Could be a little wacko, I don't know. At best, they're doubting he's demon possessed. At worst, they think he's demon possessed and they wanna kill him. But all of them are completely missing it. What are you missing that's right in front of your face? What has you distracted from the good shepherd who is standing right before you and he's saying, I'm here? There is a gate. I'm that as well. Come on in. Good pastures await. I will lead you and I will be the good shepherd. And they just keep missing it. I am notorious for losing things. Anybody else? Anybody? Please. Thank you so much. Thank you for not leaving me on my. Own. I mean, it's hard, right? It's, it's just, it, 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 I don't know how to fix it. I've tried. Actually, I do know how to fix it. Air tags. Air tags. It, air tags, right, Murphy? If you don't have air tags, I mean, okay, so the other day, I lost my keys, and I was trying to leave. I, have to, I take Canaan to school in the mornings, and I was looking everywhere. I couldn't find my keys, so naturally, I start interrogating my family, right? Uh, because my wife is nesting right now, and we're, we're okay with nesting, but that means things get rearranged all the time, right? Like, all the time. Like, came home, my underwear drawer was no longer there, there was a couple things in it, my socks were gone into the closet, and something else, and she was like, I'll oh, just, just, and I'm like, praise God, praise God, nesting, we're, you, we're, we'll nest around here, we'll do it, right? So I'm like, babe, do you, do you know where you put my keys? Because I know you've been in, and she's like, I, I didn't touch your keys. Okay, enough said. Uh, let's move on to Canaan. Canaan goes to my truck all the time. He runs into my truck, he takes stuff out of my truck, he gets, whether it's gum or change or anything in between, he's got stuff in my truck, so I'm like, come here, boy, what'd you do with my keys? I know you went out to my truck last night, where am I? Dad, I? Dad, I swear I haven't been to your truck, I didn't touch your truck, I don't know where your keys are. Zion, you can't put anything past Zion, you never know what Zion's up to. So I'm like, Zion, keys, Zion, keys, and she's got nothing for me, right? So now, Zadok is in this phase where he's throwing everything in the trash can, Right? Little kids, what do you do? Throws everything, if he can get his hands on it, the place he believes it goes is the trash can. So I'm like, come here boy, come here. Did you put my my keys in the trash? Did you put my keys in the trash? He said, no keys, no keys, no keys. And so Anna says, babe, why don't you check your AirTag? I forgot I had it, right? I was so busy interrogating all of them, finding my keys. So I open up my phone. And I go to find my, and and find my pops up, and you know how there's that one spot you can you can click, and it'll it'll direct you right to it, you know, like right on top of it. And it gets an arrow, and the arrow points, and it's like 12 feet this way, and you just you follow the air. T- I'm telling you, if you don't have air tags, you need to buy some air tags. They're Game changer, okay? So I've got it. I've got find My, and I open it up, and it's got that circle where it's thinking, you know? It's like trying to locate, need more light. And then all of a sudden, it finally comes on, and it's an arrow, and it's pointing right here, and it says, point two feet away. And I'm like, (laughs) and I got my whole family standing there like this. And I'm like, they're like, how? how, here's what they said. How did you miss that? Canaan's like, Dad, they're in the back pocket of your pants. How did you miss that? One more word, son. One more word. One more word. (laughs) How do you miss it when it's right there? That's what Jesus is saying. I am the good shepherd, and they're missing it. How do you miss it when it's right in front of your face? Here's what I want you to do this morning, if you would. Would you take a moment and doubt your doubts? Would you take a moment and just for one second ask yourself, am I missing something? Am I missing something that I've been so resolute on and I've been so set in my ways? Is there a chance that I could be missing something? something would you allow yourself to doubt your doubts because the story of the pharisees is they were so dug in their own heels and their own doubts and their own thoughts and their own liturgy and their own religion they were so dug into it that they could not see what was right in front of their face which was the good shepherd and here's what the good shepherd was saying he he gives us Three things that I love, protection, direction, and salvation. The good shepherd is saying, I'm here, there's a gate, that's also me. When you walk through that gate and then you go out of that gate, I am the good shepherd. I will protect you, I will give you direction, and I will save your life. Let's dive into them. Number one, protection, John 10, 11 through 13. We just read it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep, Listen to this illustration that Jesus gives. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money and he doesn't really care about the sheep. The protection of the good shepherd that we have in Jesus is based on his ownership. He is saying, you are my children, and when you are my children, I care. A hired worker doesn't care. They're just there for the paycheck. The world is just there for the paycheck. Your temptation is just there for the paycheck. I actually care. I took my son Canaan with me. Uh, last month to defend my dissertation in Florida. And he came with and we were we were going to the car rental place and uh, there was a guy and I, was, I was talking to him and it was just a father-son trip. It was a real blast that we had. And Kanan looks up at me and he's like, Dad, what kind of car did we get? And I was like, I don't know. I went for like the compact, you know, just saving a buck. But I got to the table and I was like, hey, you got any upgrades? And Kanan goes, Dad, can we get a Lambo? <laughs> Way too much YouTube in this kid's life, Right. We're not Mr. Beast, we're not getting a Lambo. He's like, Dad, can we get a Lambo? And the guy heard him, and the guy kinda laughed a little bit, and he said, no. He said, man, I'll, I'll hook you guys up, I'll hook you guys up, you are know, doing all this stuff and everything else, and he's like, okay, you guys are ready. So we go downstairs, and he gave us this key fob, and we go to the desk, and, and we get to the desk, and I was like, hey, uh, what did we get? And he goes, ooh, you got a good one. I said, really, what did we get? He said, you got the supercharged V8 Charger. Check this thing out. Look at my son, look at this. Like the picture, there he is. Do, do you he was so flipped out. He's like, dad, we got a Lambo. I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course we did, right? So we got. So we get in this car and I just, I wanna be honest with you because we're in church, maybe it's confession time. I drove this thing like my last name was Earnhardt. How do you not? Right, like how do you not, you're in a souped up charger, your son's in the back, his whole, screaming the whole time, daddy, blaze him, daddy, blaze him. I'm like, okay, okay, daddy's got you, bud, and I'm just, there was not a time we were at a complete stop that we did not absolutely get it so fun. I mean, we had a, God bless Dodge, right? It was so good. We had so much fun. We were flying around everywhere. Okay. So then we get back and we get in my truck and Kanan gets in my truck. And the first thing he says is, you know, dad, like the truck's okay, but I wish we had a charger. And so I'm like, well, son, this has the same engine in it that that charger had, right? It's a V8. We're, we're ready to roll. And he's like, oh, okay. Okay, cool. So we get out on the road and he goes, dad, dad, Blaze them. And I was like, no, man, no, I won't tear my truck up, you know? You gotta, you gotta be careful with these things, right? I, this is my truck. I'm not gonna tear my truck up for no car. I'm not gonna blaze them. Gotta watch the gas mileage around here. He's like, come on, dad. Blaze them, dad. I'm like, no, I, I can't. Why? Because I own this and I was just leasing that. I'll tear up what I, I mean, I'll, I hope there's no car rental people in here today. But you got to have fun with it, right? I, I, will, I will have fun with what I lease, but I would never do that to what I own. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the good shepherd. There are hired workers that are just leasing you. Hear me. The world is just leasing you. It does not care about you has no value for your life. I'm t- listen to me, I, and I, I wanna be, uh, porn does not love you. It hates you. You have to understand, it hates you. Its whole goal is to destroy your life, to rot your mind, to rob your marriage of intimacy. It does not love you. It is not an escape. An addiction does not love you. I've spent enough time doing ministry in prisons. I've spent enough time being at discipleship houses and interfaith houses where people come out of addiction and go into them. I haven't heard one of them say, man, my addiction really saved my life, really helped me. No, they look skin and bones and their bodies wasting away. And every time they say it came that close to killing me, it's leasing you. All it is is leasing you. Anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, it is just leasing your soul. And it is destroying your soul. It's the whole goal. To steal, kill, and destroy. There are fake shepherds that want to lead you to absolute destruction. That is their goal. They're not saying, I hope you have a rich and satisfying life. They're saying, how quickly can I kill you? Maybe the mindset shift that we have to have today is that our sin does not love us. Our sin hates us. It wants to destroy you. That is the entire goal. That's the goal. And if it happens fast, it happens fast. If it happens over time, it happens over time. But all they're looking to do is lease you until you are ran out of gas and worn out and beat up and tore to pieces and left on the side of the road for someone else's problem. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I have come because I own you. I have come because you're my children. I am not a hired worker. I'm not going to take the wool, take the milk, slaughter the lamb, and then just run away and leave the others hungry. I am here to care for you. I am your protection. I am here to nurture you. I am here to look after you. I am here to lay down my life for you. What are you missing that's right in front of your face? Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not a hired worker. I'm not leasing anybody's soul, but I want to reconcile you to the Father. The second thing he declares is that not only is he protection, but he is direction. Jesus is saying, not not only am I going to protect you, not only do you come through this gate and you meet the good shepherd, but then you go out and you have a good shepherd that leads you, that leads you by his voice. John 10, 14 through 16, I am the good shepherd. He doubles down on it. I know my own sheep. We are his because I'm not leasing them. I know my own sheep. I know who they are and they know me. Just as my father knows me, I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this fold. I must bring them also. Here it is. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The American Bible Society releases extensive research on Bible engagement among American adults. And they, they do a phenomenal job. They do an annual report called The State of the Bible, where they release all kinds of research. It was a huge resource for me. You should check it out. State of the Bible, American Bible Society. It's really, really interesting. But they said in 2022, they saw the steepest decline in Bible engagement that they have ever seen in the history of their research, 20%. Said it went from 128 million adults engaging the Bible regularly to 103 million. 20% drop in one year. Steepest decline they've ever seen in history. So they did a follow up study of everybody who responded and they asked them, Why? Why have you quit engaging with the Bible? You know what the number one answer was? This is crazy. It's not, I've become an atheist. It's not I've walked away from my religion. It's not I had a bad church experience. The number one answer was not knowing where to start. Not knowing where to start. I don't have a voice. I don't have have a voice leading me. I don't have a voice calling. I don't have a a guide. I I don't know where to begin. Like, who do I turn to? Who do I listen to? Who do I talk? Jesus is saying, I will lead you by my voice. You want to hear the voice of God? It's within the pages of this book. Do you want to hear God's voice? Do you want to hear it daily? Do you want to hear it every morning? Do you want to hear it every evening? If you want to hear the voice of God, there is no clearer megaphone of God's voice for you than right here, because by his spirit, he will lead you. He is saying, I am the good shepherd. My sheep will listen to me. They will hear my voice, and I will lead them. Lex Gillette is a guy I've, I've seen and, and read a ton about him. He is a Special Olympics Olympian gold medalist. He is world renowned for being a long jumper, and he's blind. That is someone who runs three foot wide, hundred foot runway as fast as he can, and jumps as far as he can without being able to see. It's absolutely insane. How does he do that? Because that should be impossible for him, right? Guys, play that video really quick of him long jumping. In first position, 624. As he prepares for his fifth attempt, and you hear the clapping of his uh, guide there at the board. I don't know if you could hear, but the, the accent may have thrown off, but he said his guide is out there. And he said his guide is clapping for him and his guide is leading him and his guide is speeding up. And then when he gets to the end, he said, jump. And Lex jumps. How does a blind man long jump for world records? He has a guide. He has a voice in front of him that's leading him. He has a voice that's telling him when his next step is. He has a voice that's telling him when to jump. He has a voice that's telling him when to go. Listen, we have a guide, a good shepherd who says, I will lead you and you will hear my voice and you will follow me. He is the shepherd that's out in front. He gives us direction. If you lack direction in here, there is a voice that leads you. You may not see the next step. You may not know what the next steps are, but you have a voice that will lead you. That's what Jesus is saying. I provide protection and I provide direction. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they listen to me and I will lead them and they will follow me. You are not as blind as you think. You are not as lost as you think. You are not as without direction as you think. You have a starting point. You have a guide. You have a voice out in front of you. And, and literally, how do you, how do you engage this guide? It is by invitation. Will you walk through the gate? And if you will walk through the gate, when you walk out, you will have a voice that leads you. You will have a guide that leads you. You will have someone who is our good shepherd that's directing you. And then lastly... He is our substitution. Uh, we're, We're going to align some theology. This is so important to understand from a theological standpoint. When we talk about the cruciform life and crucifixion and Jesus going to the cross and everything else that we celebrated last week, listen to this theology really quick. Jesus is our substitution, and then we'll see why it's so important. John 10, 17 through 18. Listen to what he declares. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. This is so important for us to understand. If you track the narrative of John, and if you even look into the Gospel of Matthew in a couple places in Mark, over and over and over again, the Pharisees tried to kill Jesus. John 5, 16 through 18. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Look what happens next. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. Isn't that amazing? Guy gets healed right in front of their face. They're like, "Hey, eh, you broke a rule. I don't know. Kind of get in trouble here. Verse 17. But Jesus replied... <clears throat> My father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. Jesus in John chapter 7 is teaching in the synagogue and he claims to be from God. And John 7 30 is their response. Then the leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet Come you remember this a couple weeks ago John chapter 8 he's arguing with the Pharisees and they say Our father is Abraham and Jesus says back to them before Abraham was I am Here was their response John 8:59 At that point they picked up stones to throw at him Let's just kill him But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Then in John chapter 10, later on in this same Good Shepherd narrative, Jesus claims to be equal with God. And when he does, John 10, 25 through 31, Jesus replied, I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Verse 31, once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. What? again they just want to kill it jesus this will all culminate next week next week's going to be great i can't wait come and bring a friend john chapter 11 jesus raises lazarus from the dead once he rises from the dead i mean literally we're talking a man is raised from the dead what's the response oh man he's getting pretty popular around here people are actually starting to believe this stuff can you believe what he did he raised a dead man. What should we do about it? John eleven fifty three. 53. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Crazy, right? Over and over and over, their goal was to kill him. But, but hear me. If Jesus was murdered by the Pharisees, we don't have a savior. We have a victim. Listen, if Jesus was murdered and he was, his life was taken from him at the decision of the Pharisees. We don't have a Savior. We have a victim, a victim of murder. Here is what Jesus is saying. He is saying, I am, I am not an offense to the Pharisees. I am an offering. They can't take my life. I'm not a victim to the cross. I am a victor of the cross. Saying, I am not going to be taken, but I am going to conquer death. This is why this is so important. If they could kill him, he has no power. But they tried over and over and over again until the point became crystal clear. You can't take my life. I offer it. And that offering is for everyone. We're not victims of the cross. We overcome by the cross. Right? We're not victim. We overcome by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because they tried to kill him and they couldn't stop him. And yet he still laid his life down for us. Jesus was not a victim of the Pharisees. He did not finally get caught by them. He voluntarily laid his life down. What did he do at the time of his arrest? He stopped Peter and said, stop fighting. Here you go. Here I am. Take me. I am ready to become the offering for my people. I was reading a story written by an author who has a family member who's in a wheelchair. They've uh, had no use of their legs their entire body, or their entire life, so they said there was this time where they were all at a family gathering and their family member was sitting on the couch and they were trying to navigate into their chair and they were, they were like lifting up and leaning against tables and almost fell over and had to get back up and they're like, oh, let us help you, let us help you. are like, no, I'm good, I'm good. And he, he finally gets into his chair and one of the family members says, I am so sorry that you have to live like this. I'm so sorry that you have to have this chair. And here's what he said back to him. He said, that chair is the greatest thing to ever happen to me. He said, the moment I become a victim of that chair, my entire life becomes a disabled, inadequate, subpar existence. But that chair sets me free. He said, I see the freedom it provides me to experience life. He said, I am not a victim to that. That is what sets me free. Listen, Jesus was not a victim to murder. He is a victor over death. That's what sets us free. And it was his choice. And it was his doing. And it was his doing for you, and it was his doing for me. And it was his doing to say, I am the good shepherd, and I'll show you how far I'll go. I will give my life for you." That is the Good Shepherd.